0: uh, I really am seeing is Christians that are struggling in these areas. They're not seeing freedom and it's not random and it's not the sovereignty of God. There is, uh, there are, I should say, things you can do to stay free so that you don't have to go you know, to a place where I was defeated you know, one month and next month I'm in victory Then the month after that, I'm kind of going through it again and I've been defeated battle after battle. I've lost. No, you can stay in victory. And that's the important part of understanding this walk of faith. I can stay in victory. In fact, for those of you that are watching, I want you to put that in the comments. I can stay in victory. If you're listening on the podcast, just say it out loud. I can stay in victory. And that's, you know, that's funny because we'll get pushback on that to our ministry. There's, there's actually people that will uh, give us pushback. It's like, I can't believe you teach that, you know, uh, never ending victory and all that. You know, that's not how life works. There's people that actually get mad that we teach that. Tough because we believe it. Bible teaches it. You can stay in victory. And that's an important thing to know because who wants to go through life trying and failing, trying and struggling, trying and hurting, and then every once in a while have a good month. It's not God's desire. It's not what he equipped you for. The power of God has come upon your life to be in victory, a never ending victory, I should say. And that's what we're dealing with today. Five ways, effective ways. These are Bible ways. These are things that you can see in scripture that will make the devil run away from you and your home, your family, your mind, your relationships, make him, you got to drive him away. You drive him away and you do it the biblical way because our Bible teaches us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, rulers of wickedness, uh, spiritual wickedness in in, uh, heavenly places. So you understand that this is a spiritual fight, not a natural fight. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You can't fight the devil with a knife or a gun. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And so, we can pull strongholds down supernaturally. And I'm just gonna tell you flat out, I see strongholds in people's lives that they just can't seem to be free from. It's a problem because uh, Jesus wants you to be free. And so I wanna walk you through these five things from the scripture and and show you how you can live in never-ending victory daily. Daily, you don't have to wait for a revival. You don't have to wait until the new year hits or you know some special service or an evangelist to come through town. You carry the power on the inside of you to be victorious daily, and so we want to deal with that. And Tanya is already in the spirit; she knows where I'm headed with some of these things. But let's start by looking at the book of James. And, um, I want to read you two verses from the book of James that, uh, will help you to understand where we're going with this James chapter four, and I'm going to read you verses seven and eight. The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners and purify your hearts. You double-minded. So that's James four verses seven and eight. Um, so that's obviously the, what we're talking about today, uh, making the devil flee from you. So according to scripture, the Bible says, if you'll resist the devil, he will flee from you. So what we're really doing is we're going to give you five ways to resist the devil because if, if I just asked somebody, well, how do you resist the devil? Most people wouldn't know. You could read that verse and say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to resist the devil? You know, probably the first thing that your mind goes to is resisting arrest. <laughs> but the question is biblically, how do you resist the attacks of the devil and the devil himself? That's what we're talking about. So, I wanna give you five things that we'll walk through. I'll give you the verses of scripture for them, and then we'll break it down, talk a little bit about it. Number one, the first thing that you do in order to resist the devil, make him flee from you, we actually see it right here in this verse. Number one is, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So that's the very first step in resisting the devil. You've gotta be submitted to God. Well, you ask yourself, Well, how does one then submit themselves to God? What does that mean? And what does it look like practically every day in the life of a believer to submit themselves therefore to God? Well, what it truly means is to obey his word. That is the most simple definition that I can give you for what does it mean to submit to God? Because really uh, submitting to God The the most practical way we do that, he's given us an entire collection of instructions from heaven. And you know, we've covered this many times on the broadcast, you know, as well as I do that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant word of the almighty God. And the Bible teaches that God is his word. We've gone over that John chapter one and verse one, God is his word. So we know the way to submit to God is to obey his word. Obey his word. Well, also beyond that, it's to obey the voice of his spirit, right? So that's the key. It's not to just obey the word of God, but also the voice of his spirit. There's my friend, Derek. Love you, buddy. Good to see you. Obey not only the word of God, but the voice of his spirit. So when he speaks to you, It's quickly obeying what he tells you to do and making sure that you are not delaying delaying and obeying, if you want to say it that way. Because what ends up happening, we've dealt with this on the broadcast as well, delayed obedience is the same as disobedience. It's like I always use the uh, example. Have you ever sent your kid up to clean their room and you go up and they found a toy three minutes in that they haven't seen in a while and they just sat down and started playing with it? maybe you walk in there playing video games or something like that. And you're like, hey, I told you to clean your room. And they're like, I'm going to get around to it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Yeah, but delayed obedience looks the same as disobedience. Hey, Phil. So the key here, number one, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. What does that mean? It means that you obey his word without delay. You obey his word without delay. Um, the Bible teaches us that in the last days, there would be people who would call evil good and good evil. Maybe it's a, I guess I could probably do another broadcast on this altogether, but there are people that are, that are making up their own false doctrines to live by that are contradictory to the word of God. And so as a result they, they are falling away from the faith as the Bible prophesies that they would. That's called apostasy. That's leaving the faith. Well, let me just tell you something. You can't leave a faith that you were never a part of in the first place. This is a picture of people walking away from their covenant with God. Walking away. I know some people don't believe that's possible, but we do believe it's possible. To walk away from your covenant. God's not going to force you to serve him. God's not going to force you to obey him. And you've got to make the choice to obey what the Bible says to do. So, so step number one, it seems simple, but for many people, it's not because how, here's another question for you, for you, how do you obey the word of God? If you don't know what it says, right? So the key becomes, am I being filled with God's word? because one of the ways we submit ourselves to God is by filling ourselves because the Bible uh, commands us to do it, filling ourselves with the word of God. And so, uh, you can't truly submit to God if you don't even know what his word says. <clears throat> so I'm encouraging you. If you've not done so, you've got to come up with some sort of a daily plan to fill yourself up with God's word. Read the Bible read the Bible on a daily basis. I know that seems like a basic thing, but many Christians don't do it. Many Christians don't read their Bible daily. Do it. Fill yourself up with God's word so that you can truly submit to God by obeying his word. Can't obey and it's things you don't know that were said. So uh, that's key. Submit yourself. That's number one. Submit yourself to God. But let me go on with that. Because now, as you're filling yourself with God's word, guess what's going to happen? Two things are going to happen. Number one, you are going to begin to realize who you are in Christ, your identity. So um, number two that I would give you, the second way to make the devil flee from you or run from you is to... Access your new identity. That's number two. Access your new identity. This is such, you know, I wish I could just impart this to every believer. (laughs) Like, like the matrix style, like plug it into the back of your head. And then just like, I know Kung Fu now. Like, I wish I could do that same thing for every believer with understanding who they are in Christ. I see so many people that are struggling because of this one thing. They don't know who they are in Christ. So what happens? Well, the thing that happens, the the byproduct of this is that they are still identified with who they used to be before they got saved, which means they're still living in guilt. They're still living in shame. They're still in a place of inferiority. They still are in a place of timidity. And and you can't even obey certain things that the Bible tells us to do, like Hebrews chapter four. When we pray, how are we supposed to approach God? The Bible says, boldly approach the throne of grace, right, that you may find help in time of need. Well, how do you boldly approach God's throne if you're still viewing yourself as the old sinner you used to be before you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. See what I mean? And so what happens is people walk in timidity and fear and shame and guilt. And then when the devil watch, watch how devious this is, because once the devil starts attacking them and things start, start going sideways, you know what they start thinking? Well, you know, I deserve this. I deserve this in my life for, what I, for the way I've been, what I've done, who I am. And there's literally people walking around that are saying, you know what? I deserve what's happening to me. I deserve what's going on in my life because of my life. Why is that? They're not identifying with who they now are in Christ versus who they used to be before Christ. And so the devil's so slick on this one because he continues to bring up who you used to be. He continues to remind you of your mistakes in the past, tries to get you to look backwards so that you're not looking forward into your covenant. And I'm just telling you right now, I've seen struggle after struggle after struggle. People that can't seem to break loose of the guilt, the shame, the timidity, the fear, because of the fact they don't identify in their new covenant. They've not changed their identity in their mind. See, it's changed in your spirit, but you've got to change it in your soul. You know, I I guess I should talk about that because it's probably not talked about enough. It's changed in your spirit. The moment of salvation, you're changed. But people, it's not changed in their soul, in their mind in their emotions. It's not changed there because in order for that part to change, there's got to be a renewing of the mind, right? Which is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. We have to renew our own minds. We have to renew our own minds. God doesn't do it for you. He expects you to do it. We renew our minds again by the washing of water by the word. That's how God makes his bride clean through the washing of water by the word. So know this, the Bible has, or, or I, I should say it this way. The Bible is a cleansing agent. The scripture is a cleansing agent so that as you fill yourself with it, as I, as I told you to do in the first, first step, you're actually washing your mind. Think about that. You're washing your mind. That's powerful. I'm washing my mind. Uh, listen to uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 and 26 and 27. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Listen to this. The, the, the scripture is a cleansing agent. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Check out 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So there's a washing of water by the word, a washing of water by the word. Let me take you now quickly to Romans chapter 12. Carolyn said like washing your mind out with soap. That's right. It's like a supernatural soap. Listen to this. Now listen to Romans 1 and two. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now look at verse two, Romans 12, two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed, be transformed, be transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get this now, get it in your spirit. I have to renew my mind to be transformed. I've got to renew my mind to be transformed. Put that in the comments. I must renew my mind to be transformed. And here's the reason that we don't see every Christian walking in their new identity. They've not renewed their mind to be transformed. So what happens? What happens is this. I'm trying to put together the best way to to say this to you. There's a... Um, there's something that happens to... Hostages. I'm trying to remember the term. Do you remember the psychological term, Tiff? Is it Stockholm syndrome? What's what's the term when a hostage has been a hostage for a long time? They they start to depend on their captor, and they don't want to leave their. They end up not wanting to leave their captor. There's actually been evidence uh, in the past of people having opportunities to escape their captor, and they choose not to. Stockholm syndrome that's the one it's stockholm syndrome so think about this In, with stockholm syndrome you've been a hostage for so long that you now are choosing to identify that way and you will not leave that position this happens to christians i want you to see this um when you've been in that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, it's it's like when they they would put the uh, was that was that in Atomic Habits? What was that in? Was that in what book was that in? I can't remember either. They, they did this thing where they would show when 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 uh, when elephants are are small and they're being trained, they will chain an elephant's leg to a stake or, or to, you know, something that's strong enough, obviously to hold an elephant and they learn their boundary. Elephants will learn their boundary and then they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and and it gets burned into their mind. This is my boundary. I can't go beyond it to the place when, if I'm right about this, when they get older, they take the chain away and just use like a string or like a a small rope. It's like, yeah, they've tried for so long to go beyond that boundary and they can't that when they're older, those that are keeping them don't even have to use the chain anymore. They can literally just use like a string or like a a little rope and and, and put it on on their leg. But their mind has been so burned into the fact that I can't go beyond this, this is my boundary, that they never do even after they're older. Stockholm syndrome, you've been a hostage for so long, you begin to identify, this is my reality, this is who I am, and you stay there. That's what happens to Christians is that if they don't uh, renew their mind to become transformed, then what the devil does is he can, they're now, their spirits are, are new because they're new They're new creations in Christ, but the devil can still be their uh, captor and still remind them. And And this is who you are. You're a hostage to your thoughts. You're a hostage to your identity. This is why having a God identity is so vital. Because watch this. If you, don't change that by the renewing of your mind. You will be a new creature and still act out with the old man as the, uh, the one in the driver's seat, so to speak. Meaning you'll do all the same stuff. You'll still, you'll still be ashamed. You'll still be, cause you won't live like you're free. You won't live like you're forgiven. You won't live like you're empowered. You won't live. You will stay a captor. Even though you're saved, you'll stay a captor to who you used to be until you renew your mind to your identity in Christ. To who you are in Christ. So as you read the word, catch this, it renews your mind. It washes the washing of water with the word, washes your mind, cleanses it, renews it. And then it gives you the fuel for life. And you begin to understand, oh, this is who I am. Oh yeah, I'm not a no. That's why we're very specific about the terminology we use. You'll never ever hear me referring to a Christian as a sinner saved by grace. That is not, you'll never hear Paul to do, do that because that's not who you are. Because notice what that does. It puts the focus back on who you used to be. I can't tell you how many people I've heard use this as though, you know, um, it's who we still are. You know, I've heard pastors get up from the pulpit. We're all sinners. How many know we're all sinners? We're all sinners. Really? Because I thought the Bible said that we used to be, but now we're no longer dead in trespasses and in sins, but we've been raised up to new life in Christ. That's who we are. That's who we identify with. You know, it blows my mind. You've got this thing working through the world. Where you got men identifying as women and you got women identifying as men and you got, you know, whatever I identify as vaccinated. And we have all these different things that people are identifying as, and, and we've got Christians that will not identify as a new creature. They're still identifying as a sinner. Say, but I'm just a sinner. How many know we're all sinners? That's not what the Bible teaches. It says you once were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Ephesians chapter two, but he raised you up, made you alive and seated you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, no longer a victim. Now all things are under your feet, all things, all things. I got to bust that scripture out for you because, uh, people forget this notice verse five of Ephesians two, Ephesians two, five. Even when we were dead within our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Huh? By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, if you go back a chapter, guess what? Notice what he said. He said in verse 19, 119, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all verse 21 rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come and has put all things under his feet gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So you catch this now, that's where you're seated, in a place that is in Christ where all things are under your feet. You're not down here on the earth crying out for help. You're in heavenly places, ruling and reigning. You're in a place of authority. You don't have to come to God in shame and in guilt You don't have to come to God in fear. You don't have to come to God intimidated and feeling inferior because he raised you up. You're not a victim. You're victorious. He raised you up. He seated you in heavenly places. You're now far above depression, far above anxiety, far above sickness, far above disease, far above every wicked thing, every name that is named. So identity, the thing that one of the second thing that makes the devil flee from you is knowing who you are. No, let me just give you a final thing before I move on. If you don't know, let's say you have property, if you don't know legally where your property line begins and where it ends, then if you began to put up a fence to keep people out, you wouldn't even know where to end that fence. You wouldn't know where to go and make that marker. So if you're unsure about your boundary of your, of your property line, somebody could be trespassing on your property and you not even know it. You know why you don't know it? Because you don't know where your property begins and where it ends. That's why legally you have to know where your property boundary line is. You put up the fence and you put up the sign no trespassing and then if somebody comes past, there's consequences. But there can't be consequences if nobody knows where the boundary line is. Nobody knows. And that's the key. When you read this word, it now puts a boundary line around everything that is yours in Christ. And if it's yours in Christ and the devil begins to encroach on it, he is trespassing on God's property. The moment that he begins to try to put sickness on your body. Depression in your mind, anxiety in your spirit, suicidal thoughts in your heart. The moment he starts to harass you in that way, he is trespassing on God's property. And because you know the boundary line that this body belongs to Jesus, this mind belongs to Jesus, this spirit belongs to Jesus, my kids belong to Jesus. Everything I own belongs to Jesus, including my finances. That means that the moment he starts harassing you, he is now crossed over onto God's property. And if he's on God's property, you've got the authority to kick him off by the Holy Ghost and fire. And here's the key: identity is that knowing that this is who I am. I'm not the old person I used to be. I'm a new person. And because I am. I can enforce my new identity. I can enforce it. I can enforce it. If I go to another country and I go into my... uh, There's certain things they cannot do to me as an American citizen. Because I'm not a citizen of your nation. I'm a citizen of America. So you can't do certain things. You don't have the jurisdiction to do certain things to me if I'm in another nation. Especially, I mean, uh, you ever... Here I've taught about this for a long time now. Especially if you walk into your own embassy, you walk into your own embassy, and it's not even their country anymore. Even though it's in their country legally, you're back in your country. They don't have they don't have jurisdiction. So when you identify the way God's called you to identify, the devil has no jurisdiction, no authority, and has to flee from you. Number three. Here's one of the things Jesus did to make the devil flee. So we've submitted to God. We've changed our identity. But now that we have gotten the word inside of us to renew our mind, we know what to obey as a Christian. We know what to obey. The third thing is what Jesus did. Let's go to Luke chapter four. This is exactly how Jesus did it and made the devil flee from him made the devil flee. Jesus is led out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. What's the number three effective way? Answer with the word of God. Answer with the word of God. That's number three. Answer with the word. Jesus is out being tempted by the devil himself. And he says, if you're truly the son of God, Luke 4, 3, command this stone to become bread. Command this stone to become, I'm getting there, JC. I'm getting there. Command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written. It is written. You see that? The devil brings up a temptation. Christ slaps him with the word. It is written. You come down another temptation in verse seven, worship me and all will be yours. And Jesus answered him. It is written slap. Number two, then another one, cast yourself off the temple, throw yourself down. He'll command his angels uh, concerning you. He'll, he'll guard you. They won't uh, let you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said, it is said slaps him a third time. Bam, bam, bam. Three slaps in a row to the devil's face answering by the word of God. And verse 13, here's the key, here's the result of Jesus resisting. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Do you see that? Until an opportune time. So catch this thought. When the when 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 you answer your enemy with God's word, it creates an inopportune time for him to mess with you. You see that when you answer the devil with the word, it creates an inopportune time for him to mess with you. Answer with the word of God. But again, going back to one, you can't answer with a word that you don't know. So this is why filling yourself with the word is so vital. So we submit ourselves to God. That means obey His Word. In order to obey His Word, we have to know what it says. So we fill ourselves, we obey it, we identify as new creatures. Number three, we answer our enemy with the Word of God. And then number four, what's the fourth way that we can uh, resist the devil? By taking every thought captive. It's big. Take every thought captive. Now there's, there's several verses I want to hit here. JC was a bit ahead of me, but I'm, I'm headed there. I'm headed to Colossians three. But before I get there, let me read just second Corinthians 10, which Tanya was way ahead of me at the beginning of the broadcast. Way to go. You're in the spirit. Um, the Bible says in second Corinthians 10 verses four and five for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see that we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, let me jump over to Colossians, where uh, J.C. was just a moment ago, Colossians chapter three, which I have highlighted here, uh, verses one, two, and three. This is huge. Get it in your spirit. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what's the, uh, what's the command from Paul here? Set your mind on things above. What's, what's Paul's command to the Corinthians? Take every thought captive that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So take, your, take every evil thought captive and then set your mind on things that are above and then finally... Philippians chapter four, catch these thought life is something that people, uh, really struggle. In fact, uh, one person called it the battlefield of the mind because see your spirit's already saved. Your spirit is already redeemed. And then again, your, your flesh is not going to be glorified until Jesus comes back. So the, the, it will always be carnal. Your flesh will always want to do what's carnal and evil, but your spirit will always want to please God. And so the thing standing in the middle of the two is the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. That's where the battle is. That's why you have to renew your mind. That's why you have to take thoughts captive. And then again, look at Philippians 4. And I'm going to read you 6 through 8. A ph- uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's excellence, if there's worthy of praise, think on these things. So Paul, in these three different examples, is telling us we've got the ability to choose where our mind is directed we've got the ability to choose where our thoughts are and that makes all the difference in the world it makes every difference in the world because now i've got the ability to curate my thought process to keep me in victory you know this is the one area where i believe the majority of christians in the in america are struggling because we have so many people that are depressed, fearful, anxious, uh, suicidal, that in the body of Christ, I've prayed for them. I've dealt with this spirit of heaviness, a spirit of fear. I've dealt with it at length and in depth. I've preached against it, I've cast it out, I've laid hands and see people get delivered. This is an area Christians where Christians are battling. And, and it's because they're not doing These things Paul's teaching to take every thought captive. You have to meditate, as Paul said here, on what's true, on what's true. What is true? What the Bible says. Not what's happening in culture, not what's happening in the government, not what's happening online, not what's happening. None of that. What the Bible says is what's true. I have to meditate on what's true. So for example, if I'm dealing with heaviness because the devil has inserted, uh, thoughts in my mind that make me feel like I am worthless or unworthy or whatever, what do I do then? I meditate on what's true about me Well, what's true about me. Well, let me just say in that context, what's true about me. It's impossible for you to be worthless Because your worth is uh, truly determined by how much Jesus paid for you. That's what determines your value. It's the value that's been invested in you. I've, I've used this example before and I want to say it again so you get it in your spirit. Art is a subjective thing. Art is subjective. Art is basically worth what people are willing to pay for it. That's that's it. Because all it is, is you know, if we're talking about paintings, it's just oil on canvas. That's all it is. What makes the Mona Lisa worth so much money? What makes Starry Night worth so much money? If you go to see a Monet or a Mane, what makes them worth so much money? It's just paint on canvas. You could buy that same paint at a hobby craft store. You could buy the same canvas. You could buy brushes and do work yourself. What makes that so valuable? The one who created it, the one who created it. That's what makes it valuable. The one who created it, the one who invested the value into it. It's, it's expensive. It's, people are willing to pay tons of money for it because of the value they see in the one who created it. It was created by, see what I mean? You look at this artist. It's the creator who imparts the value to the canvas. It's not the oil paints and it's not the canvas itself and it's not the brushes. It's not, it's not any of that. It's the fact that The creator imparted value to that piece when he created it, right? So you would say, this is a Michelangelo. This is a Monet. This is a Monet. This is a De Gaulle. You look at those paintings and you say, oh, it's valuable because this creator created this piece. So the moment that you've been recreated and God poured his spirit into you, it is now impossible for you to be worthless because he poured his value into your body. In fact, Paul told the Corinthian church, we've got a treasure that is hidden inside of earthen vessels, vessels of clay, that's our flesh. Think about this, our flesh, you're looking at my flesh on camera, your flesh, where you're watching from, it contains the very spirit of God. How you to think about how powerful this is? It contains the very spirit of God, the same spirit, according to Paul, that raised Christ up from the dead. How valuable is the spirit of God? There is no price you can put on the spirit of God. And here is what's insane. He melded or unified your spirit with his spirit. Now you're one in the same. Now you're one in the same. You're in Christ. You're one in the same. So your thoughts have to be defined by what's true. This is what's true. What's true is you have the spirit of God dwelling in in your physical body, and your spirit has been united with Christ's spirit, and so now you're not who you used to be, I gotta meditate on that truth. How can I be worthless when I'm priceless? (laughs) I want you to put it in the comments section. How can I be worthless when I'm priceless? It's impossible, it's impossible. So let me give you number five, the fifth effective way to resist the devil, make him flee from you, run from you in terror. Number one, submit to God, obey his word. Number two, identify as your new creation reality, who you truly are. Answer the devil with the word of God, that's three. Number four, take every thought captive and meditate on what's true. And finally, Guard your relationships. That's number five. Guard your relationships. Well, here's one of the areas the devil will use in order to destroy your life is that he will put wrong relationships in your life. Unbelievers, those that don't believe the word of God, those that don't receive the word of God, doubters, complainers. I've dealt with this on the broadcast, people to avoid, that the Bible teaches to avoid. One of the ways that I'm going to resist the devil is by resisting relationships that he sends into my life. You can tell. That's why the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And so I I have to ask myself, is this person sharpening me or are they dulling my blade? Are they sharpening me or are they dulling my blade? Because if I've got somebody that all they're doing is gossiping, all they're doing is complaining, all they're doing is moaning, all they're doing is wanting to disobey what the word of God says, all they're doing is they, they doubt, full of unbelief always trying to talk me out of faith, you know, in the, um, until, uh, you know, it's, it gets to the place where like, well, you know, and they do it in the guise of that. They care about you. You know, I, you know, I'd, I'd hate to see your hope stashed. I know you're believing for healing, but I, I don't need those kinds of friends. I don't need doubters. I don't need complainers. I don't need gossips. I don't need those that mo- I don't need any of that. I don't need the faithless. I don't need to be connected with people that are going in an opposite direction than I'm going. I don't need to be connected with that. I need to be connected with faith people, faith friends that will literally go with me and add momentum to my life. Be very careful about who you allow into your life. You're not for everybody and everybody's not for you. Wow, what a revelation that is. Get it and put it in the comments. I'm not for everybody and everybody's not for me. I'm not for everybody and everybody's not for me. You got to guard that. I'm not for everybody and everybody's not for me. It's a good way to say it, Denise. If anybody's familiar with Winnie the Pooh, I don't hang around Eeyore's. If you know who Eeyore is, it's true, I'm not, that's not who I, that's not who I need in my life. So how that's heartless of, of you. How could you do that? No, it's not because people have a a, a choice and if they choose not to follow after God, then what business do I have? hanging with you. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. Corinthians 6 verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord does Christ have with the devil? And what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I'll make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I'll welcome you. I'll be a father to you, and you'll be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. So, I'm not for everybody, and everybody's not for me. I don't have time to be for everybody. I can't have everybody in my life and still accomplish my purpose. I've got to have the ones in my life that God sent that God sent to me. And so relationships are a vital thing. If you want to be anointed, it's important to be around anointed people. You know, you become who you hang around. People don't recognize that you become who you hang around. That's why a lot of stuff that, uh, People are calling generational curses. It's just learned behaviors. It's not a generational curse. There's no demon involved. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, Regina. There's no demon involved. It's learned behaviors. And because you've hung in that environment for, for so long, it becomes uh, who you are and what you do. You know, they've already proven this stuff. You become the average of the five people you hang around the most. So what's the key, you know, you see you, people's spending patterns are the same as the people they hang around. They, the, what they do uh, in their free time, their vacations, the way they live, the way they eat, all of these things, it becomes an average of who you hang around, of who you hang around, and so, you know. It just happens that way because your character is defined by your company. Your character is defined by your company, the company you keep. Your character is defined by your company. So if you want to be a powerful person in the kingdom, hang around powerful people. And leave the whiners, the moaners, the complainers, the as Denise said, behind. You can't afford to spend your whole life hanging around people that are just uh, (laughs) everything you don't want to be in life. That's why even the world understands this. That's why after somebody gets off of alcohol and they come out of AA or whatever, you don't go hanging at bars. You say, well, I'm not going to drink anything. I just want to hang with people. You're going to drink something. You're going to drink something. If you're delivered from alcoholism, stop hanging around with alcoholics. Hello. If you've been delivered from drug addiction, stop hanging around drug addicts and drug dealers and drug houses and that part of town. Stop doing it. Even the world understands that. How come Christians don't understand it? You become who you hang with. Your character is defined by your company. And that's the key. You have got to, got to guard your relationships. Once again, number one, submit yourself to God. That means obey his word. Number two, identify as who he's created you to be. See? Ministry is different, Aaron or Jake. I don't know which one is watching, but I'm not talking about who you minister to. I'm talking about who you spend your time with. Jesus ministered to everyone, but he didn't spend his time with anyone. Do you realize Jesus didn't even spend his time with his all 12 of his disciples all the time? There was an inner circle in his inner circle. Jesus didn't just have the 12 disciples. He had Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were his inner circle and he would spend more time with them than he did the whole 12. And he spent more time with the 12 than he did with the people he ministered to. And so you've got to understand something. Who you spend your time with matters. Answer with the word of God. Take every thought captive and guard your thoughts. And then finally guard your relationships. Watch the devil. He'll run. Why? Because you've literally put up a wall on every side and he has no entrance. He has no way to gain entrance into your life. No way to gain entrance into your life. You'll be victorious on a daily basis. You know, life gets a whole lot better when there's no depression. There's no fear. There's no panic. There's no anxiety. When there's no drama from bad relationships, it gets a whole lot better. There's people right now, you know who I'm talking to. You need to open up your phone after this broadcast and just block some numbers. Because the only time you ever hear from them was when there's problems and drama and anxiety and issues. You need to just block some numbers. So that's pretty harsh, brother. Yeah. depends on how bad you want to live a peaceful life in victory. Some people want, by the way, we get this wrong idea in Christianity that we just need to minister the, you know, not, not everybody will be ministered to. Not everybody will receive ministry. And so, you know, you can keep praying for them if you want to, but you got to realize not everyone will receive help or wants help or wants to change. You've heard it in our generation. This is just who I am. And if you can't deal with who I am without wanting to change me, then you don't really love me. Okay. Well, keep being a jerk then. I'm done. I'm not hanging with you. Well, I, that's who I am. I speak my mind. I do it. Fine. Go speak your mind to somebody else because I'm done. I'm done with it. I'm done with your jerky attitude that's just, you know, based on, well, that's who I am. That's, I just say what I think. Okay. You can say what you think without me there. Because I won't be around you anymore. and You won't be coming to my house and you won't be calling my phone. You won't be DMing me with all your ridiculous nonsense. So, bye. Hope you enjoy that life where you're the real you instead of doing what the Bible says and actually walking by the fruit of the Spirit and making that the real you like the Bible says to do. So, peace. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy driving every person away from your life that ever wanted to be around you because you can't control yourself. That's exactly where it's at. So not everybody wants ministry. Not everybody wants help. A lot of people think they're fine the way they are and they don't want you changing them. Good. Go be fine somewhere else. Not at my house. And that's how, that's how I view it. I Have no desire. Life's too short, and there's too much to do to put up with knuckleheads for your entire life. Just tell them, go do it somewhere else. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't care about it. It's so awesome to be able to separate yourself from all annoyance, and you can do that if you're strong enough to create your own boundaries. You can do it. It'll, it'll stop giving the enemy entrance into your life. Because how many of you, let me just tell you something. How many of you or ask you a question, I should say, have felt that. We're like, it's someone else's problem, but because of their phone call or their text or their DM or their FaceTime, it somehow became your problem. Now you're irritated in your own house by something you didn't even know about 30 minutes before, but it got shared with you by some knucklehead. And now I'm sitting around annoyed and irritated because somebody else has a problem. Ever been there before? Throw a hand up if you have, because let me tell you, I've got no desire for it. So we just, I just, I remove myself from all those situations. I remove myself from all those situations because I'm going to have peace and joy. My life is going to be good and blessed. And I don't have time for the rest of that nonsense. So go be fine somewhere else. I'm fine. I don't need to change. It's other people's problem. Isn't it funny you meet those people and everyone they've ever interacted with has a problem with them? She's got a problem. He's got an issue and it's, it's actually, they're all fine with each other. It's just you. They have a problem with (laughs) because people are deceived. They're deceived and I'm done and you need to be done. Don't give the devil an entrance through a person that won't either take control or align themselves with God's word. Just let them go do their thing somewhere else. God bless you. I'll see you later. <laughs> You're the common denominator. <laughs> it's exactly right. It's right, Lanann. Proverbs 17:1. better a dry morsel and quietness than, than a house full of feasting with strife. I totally agree, totally agree. I'd rather eat a slice of pizza with somebody that I like that encourages me than I would go have the nicest five-course meal in the nicest restaurant in New York City with somebody that just is full of strife and annoys the living heck out of me (laughs) we're keeping it PG (laughs) if I come speak in an AA meeting I'm just going to stand up and go stop it everybody just stop it everybody stop it All right, you're dismissed. (laughs) Let me pray for you because we, people need help. There's people that are struggling. They're like, I can't get rid of this attack. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. Let me pray for you. And then employ these five things. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray for your precious people today. Touch them. Whatever it is that the devil has used to gain an entrance into their life, shut that door for them today, Lord. You have the key of David in your hand that when you shut a door, no man can open it. I ask you to shut the door for them today. Keep every wicked attack out of their life in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, whatever the devil has sent to try to destroy them, destroy it by your power. I ask you, Lord, to send faith-filled people into their lives. Send hungry, godly people into their lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Let this be the start in this final third of our year. Let this be the start of the best days they've ever seen. Full of victory, joy, peace, love, productivity. Give us a new momentum as we walk into the final quarter of 2021. We will run in 2021. We we hold on to the word you've given us. We'll outrun every enemy in the mighty name of Jesus. We will outrun every enemy by the power of your spirit. We thank you. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Listen, before we go, those of you that are watching and listening, sow a seed today by faith. I told you yesterday we're expanding now two more networks on television, 39 million people on one, and I can't even tell you how many on the other, but they told me because it's going into all of India, all of South Africa, all of Pakistan and and a bunch of other nations. And they told me that at any given time, there's 1.2 million people watching on the broadcast. I'm excited. God's doing it. He's opening the doors. We're going to get a few more pieces of equipment before we launch that. And um, I want to encourage you to sow that seed. Partner with us. Stand with us. Time's coming to a close. Jesus is coming. What are you going to do? It's time to to make a move for the kingdom of God and make up your mind. I'm connecting my finances with a kingdom purpose. I'm connecting my finances with God's agenda. I refuse to put up with the devil destroying my generation before it's too late. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to make a move. And so I want to say thank you to everybody that's doing that. You can do it at miracleword.com. All of the digital ways to give are there as well. It's the month of September. We want to send you this book by Kenneth Copeland called The Laws of Prosperity. If there's anybody that you can take a a note from as a believer about walking in prosperity, it's Brother and Sister Copeland, Brother Kenneth and Sister Gloria Copeland. Uh, And this book, Laws of Prosperity, will help you immensely. It's our gift uh, to people that are sowing $85 or more in the month of September. Uh, If you'd like to get it, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer And you can uh, fill out the form so that we know where to send your book. And uh, I know it'll bless you. It'll help you. Once again, if you haven't done so, and you're around Fitchburg and Boston, Massachusetts area, and you'd like to go to the Women's Conference, it's a one-day Women's Conference, then all you gotta do is go to crossroadsconnects.com forward slash women. It's September the 18th, it's a Saturday. And uh, Carolyn's gonna be speaking. There's a luncheon, all kinds of stuff. It's gonna be great. Get there, and then we start two Sundays from now in Billings, Montana, and then Logan, West Virginia. Would love to see you in person. We love you guys so much and appreciate you being with me every morning. Tomorrow, I'm gonna be back in the morning. Carolyn's back with a special mystery guest at two o'clock. A very, very special mystery guest. And then I may even have a mystery guest in the morning. We'll see, we'll see. You know, that meeting is on September the 18th. That's a Saturday, September the 18th. It's coming up. It's coming up very, very soon. Uh, It's on our schedule page too, right? If you go to our website, you know, MiracleWord.com and click the schedule page, you'll see it right there. All the info you need. You can be a part of it. Love you guys. Thanks for hanging with me again today. I'll see you again tomorrow morning. Be blessed. Talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.